Hey, what's up, guys? My name's Kyle Stumpenhorst, and you're listening to The Contracting Handbook with Mike Kenoki. Uh, if a doctor can practice medicine and a lawyer can practice law, I'm practicing carpentry, and people, they talk about you know getting screwed over and not getting paid, a client that never pays you. And I had really good clients. And I think that when you put yourself in a box of, you know, doing a certain level of work, doing a certain type of job, you get, you attract a certain type of client also. Welcome to episode 123 of the Contracting Handbook Podcast. Mike Kenoki here jumping in to say thank you to everybody who has written reviews and supported me this first two years. And if you're new here, I'm going to quick introduce myself. I've been a contractor for 18 years. I'm now a residential home builder. I love building, I love job sites, and I love talking shop. And if you want to learn more about me and the other 70-plus guests I've had on the show, you can check us out on at The Contracting Handbook on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and my website, thecontractinghandbook.com. And if any of you find value in this content, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcast, rate us on Spotify, and comment there in the new comment section. Or share this episode on your favorite social media app and tag both Kyle and I. And now a couple more tasty sound bites from today's podcast episode of the Contracting Handbook. I need to make content that in five years from now, somebody that's searching for something is going to find our video and hopefully learn from it. Hopefully it'll improve their day. How do you make it better? How do you do it better? How do you make it quicker and more efficient? That's just the stuff that excites me, you know? So I didn't, I didn't go to a school and for the last... Oh, geez, you know, six, seven years now, it, it's just been really Greg and I. I mean, his brother worked for us for a little bit, but every time you got a problem, you solve it. The, our best job, that you know, six, seven, eight years ago, whatever that was, is, is still to this day good enough. It's still good enough for what most people are using a shop for. And I told him, I said, I don't know that I can go from building your house with these methods with the rock wool and the Sega and the weather logic and blow blower dooring, you know, at, at 0.43 and go build a metal skinned building with fiberglass insulation and some poly. I'll feel dirty. Like I'll feel like I'm doing a disservice to my client, even though I know it's good enough. And that is the value at which they are wanting. They not everybody wants, you know, the, the ultimate, uh, level of building actually threatened to um, shoot the insulator when they showed up. Facilitating construction startups, elevating the building community, and helping to usher in the next generation of builders, the Contracting Handbook podcast connects builders globally through conversation. The man who's seen it all, your host. Mike Kenoki, General Contractor at Large in Fairbanks, Alaska. All right, you guys, welcome back to the Contracting Handbook Podcast. My next guest is a custom post frame builder and a YouTube channel host of 1.38 million subscribers, where his projects are documented and explained. He's all about making life easier for his clients and for new tradespeople entering the business world. He owns and operates RR Buildings out of Franklin Grove, Illinois. It's Kyle Stumpenhorse. Welcome to the show, Kyle. Hey, thanks for having me, Mike. I'm glad we finally made it happen. Yeah, took a minute, but that's the life of a contractor, right? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think everybody, you know, everybody's busy. No doubt. So, Kyle, how long have you been in business? Uh, I started my business in like basically 06, kind of half-heartedly. I was in the middle of starting a business, doing some farming with my father-in-law, getting out of, you know, the corporate world, I guess. So it was all kind of like part-time, full-time type thing. And then 100% in 07 was, you know, clean cut. Uh-huh. And how old were you then? Oh, geez. Uh, well, probably 24, 25. Okay. Yeah. And I'm 40 this year. So. Oh, yeah. Did that already happen? Yeah. It just happened a month ago. Yeah. I just hit 50. Nice. Happy birthday. Happy belated. You too. Yeah. Um, so what's the best advice you were ever given that you still hold on to in running the business? Uh, you know, I think, uh, you know what? I mean, I don't think anybody gave me advice because nobody in my family, uh, I mean, nobody owns their own business, I guess. I mean, my wife's father is a farmer, so that's kind of a business. Yeah. But I think the number one thing that my parents always instilled in me was just always do your best. You know, they, they were always going to be proud if I did my best. They didn't care about, you know, winning. They just cared about doing your best. And so, you know, that's just always been my personal intrinsic philosophy is if I'm going to do something, I'm at least going to do it to the best of my ability. It doesn't matter what it is, not just in business and life, you know? Absolutely. I like that. That's great. You had that encouragement. Um, so I understand uh, you went to college. So did I. Uh, I don't use it. You don't use it. Do you regret it? No, I don't regret it. I mean, there are so many things that if I didn't experience it, I probably wouldn't miss. But the fact that I went through it, I did uh, athletics. I was part of a very successful track team with coaches that were um, very uh, respected in the uh, the sports arena. And, um, they taught me a lot about, you know, more than just sports. Like my coach was very philosophical and, uh, I learned a lot about being a man. Um, just in general, met a lot of people and learned a lot of things that I would have never known had I just stayed in my small town and started my business. What did you go to school for? Computer science. So, yeah, I, I don't regret doing computer science because I think the background knowledge behind computer science is very um, problem solving centric. So how do you code something to be as efficient as possible? And so me being a problem solver every day on the job site, how do I do task A as efficient as possible is something mm -hmm. that I think was just ingrained in my studies. Yeah. I would agree. I, 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 I didn't spend, I didn't use my degree for very long, but it what definitely, was it? there was uh, uh, wildlife biology. Oh, cool. Um, and I studied wildlife all over Alaska. It was pretty, it was pretty awesome. I mean, it does sound pretty I, cool, I, man. Yeah. I, I got to, I got to go to some cool places and, and do some neat work, but um, you know, the, the work we were doing is very systematic. So it really, it really helped me actually in some ways guide my business because I was very, because it trained me to be a systematic thinker, problem solving, mm -hmm. uh, except science is more open-ended and it just leads to more questions and building has a very finite end. Drive that last Brad, get paid. Yep. You know, so, 
So I think it, if I like that more, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I think that when I decided to start my business and, and I don't know how you felt when you started yours, I was kind of like still hung up on the fact that I had a degree mm-hmm. and I wasn't using, I like wasted my time and, and, uh, and I wasn't like, I didn't charge into running my business proudly because I was kind of uncomfortable with it. Yeah. That's interesting because, I mean, when I started mine, I remember people, I was, I was reluctant to even tell people that I was going to run a con- construction business. I mean, 100%. I was, I was valedictorian of my class. Um, I was, you know, I ran an IT department out of college and I had a very good job went through college, all those things that when you tell people that you are starting a construction business, the thought is you failed. You couldn't hack it. You're going to go swing a hammer. And so it was very, it was a, it was a kind of a tough, I remember my mother-in-law thought, man, what in the world are you doing? You're ruining, you know, and now she's probably my biggest fan supporter. Um, but yeah, it's kind of weird, isn't it? Yeah, I was, because I'd say that the you know, I, I was almost embarrassed in front of the people that I'd gone to school with, because they went on to use their degrees and I was just pursuing carpentry, which yeah. I loved because I had actually built some of my own houses, and I think that I I let it, I played a game with my own head in that sense, mm-hmm. and it uh, I don't think anybody else really thought I was, maybe there's some people who thought I was I was making a mistake, but. Um, but looking back on it now, no way. I'm very yep. happy and I really, really enjoy it. 100%. Um, the, uh, that perpetuating the, the four year, the, the four year fallacy, that narrative just, it's unbelievable how it keeps going. Um, mm-hmm. well, I think there's a, I think there's a good, there's a good amount of uh, reason to go to college. And I tell my kids, mm-hmm you want to go great. That's, I mean, that's, that's awesome. I will support that and whatever, but also I wouldn't tell you you had to, and I would definitely support you not going to college. So not from a financial reason, just because there's a lot of other things to do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think when I, when, when I was in school, a lot of my friends went to school for like liberal liberal arts because they didn't know what they were doing Mm. and you know, lots of debt. I paid my debt off as soon as I could. I was like, I just worked. So, um, yeah. And those were the days of like the shoestring budget. You, you're trying to start your business and, you know, living, living week to week. Those were, uh, those were tough times. Um, so tell me when, when did you start your YouTube channel? Like 10 years ago? Uh, no, I, my first real uploads were in 2017. Okay. So, I mean, I guess that's six, six years ago. Yeah. I I started it a long time ago because I wanted to save some videos of my kids that I've now made mm. private, but, um, I didn't really post much for business until about 2017, end of 2017. Okay. And, um, what was, when you first started it, what was your, what did you want it to do? Uh, well, for me, my whole reason I did social media in the first place was because uh, where I'm located, first off, I started off as a remodeler. So I was um, 
you know, doing anything. Like I literally was a jack of all trades, master of none. I, I did anything for anybody, small town. You kind of had to just to stay mm-hmm. busy. I didn't want it to travel. And I did that for roughly six or seven years, maybe not even that long, maybe six years. And I kind of worked my way into residential new construction. I was doing new homes. And so when I moved to post frame and I did my first post frame, probably somewhere in the 2012 timeframe, um, I loved it and I wanted to do more of it, but you know, everybody kept calling me for a new roof for a gut job, for a bathroom tile, whatever. And so I wanted to just showcase, you know, things that I wanted to do because I was too cheap to pay for advertising and marketing to tell people, Hey, call me for a post frame. Well, then I started doing more post frames and I was tired of people calling me and saying, uh, Hey, I want one of those Morton buildings, which if you don't know what Morton is, Morton is kind of a nationwide chain of post frame builders. They're kind of, Mm. uh, in fact, I think they're one of the largest general contractors in the country. Um, Largest purchaser of Southern Yellow Pine, MSR mm. lumber. Anyway, I I was tired of them calling to ask me to build them a Morton. I was like, well, I can't do that. I don't, I'm not Morton Buildings. And then when I was done with a job, it was kind of, I wouldn't say disheartening, but people would say, Oh, Kyle, this is this is way better than I expected. I didn't know that I was getting this good of a building because in post-frame pole barn mentality, it's kind of like, eh, we're just putting a putting a metal skin on some wood. And as long as it doesn't have a lot of leaks, it doesn't really mm. matter. So I was like, how do I, how do I do a better job of explaining who we are, what we do and why you should choose us? So it was like, well, I'm going to start posting on, I think at the time it was Facebook and then Instagram came around and I was like, Oh, this is cool. Um, found a community of people. And, <clears throat> you know, I met a guy named Jimmy Deresta who, we built for in 2017 and he was a mm. YouTube sensation and he was like, you need to do YouTube guy. I was like, Oh man, that's, that's another platform. It's long form. It's a ton of work, but we'll give it a try. And it's really been the best thing ever because I feel like you can post something on Instagram that can be just game changer for somebody. You could save somebody's, you know, day by giving them a tip or a, a way to do things. But yeah, the problem is it's, it's, here today, gone tomorrow. Yeah. It, you have to go way back in your your feed to find that thing. Versus on YouTube, it's a searchable. Uh, you go to Google and search something, it will come up in a YouTube video, and that is evergreen. And so I'm like, okay, this is this is where I need to be because I need to make content that in five years from now, somebody that's searching for something is going to find our video. And hopefully learn from it. Hopefully it'll improve their day. But when you started on YouTube, it was more to just get people to stick with post frame, like your clients. Or yeah, that it was, was, yeah, it was mainly, did. yeah, it, I didn't really, I didn't really understand the YouTube benefit until I was on it for a little bit. Yeah. You know, at first it was just like, well, this is a way to at length describe post frame and its benefits. The reason I love it. And um, a, a way to better share um, the real details and inner workings of what we do. Well, yeah. And you know what you said back there about, you know, people are calling about roofs and the Morton dealy and, and all that. That is, I think, a common experience when we start out is that 
people want you to do everything. And if you do everything, you get too widespread yet. You need too much. You need to be focused. You need too many tools and you're changing gears all the time. You just, it's just not efficient. And yeah. I'd say I did the same thing with Facebook and then Instagram with my businesses. I showed people what I wanted to be doing. Mm-hmm. I didn't show them the jobs that we were doing that I didn't want to be doing anymore. Right. And I, and I think that was super important. hundred percent. Now, but now of course you've evolved it and you're, you're actually teaching on many well, levels. Yeah. I mean, I think the goal isn't to teach necessarily it's to share and give people options because mm-hmm. I don't, I don't ever claim to be an expert or like, I'm still learning every day. I'm still no practicing carpentry. That's what I say. I say if, if a, if a doctor can practice medicine and a lawyer can practice law, I'm practicing carpentry and I'm, I'm doing better every job, which is my goal is to do better every job. And I look back, you know, a couple of years even, and I've posted it all on the internet for people to watch. And I cringe sometimes at my, my lack of skill, you know? And so it is a challenging thing to do to, to put yourself out there and to share all of your knowledge only to grow and look back at it. But it's also kind of a, I think it's kind of like looking back at your, uh, you know, growing up and you're, you know, when you look at pictures from high school and you're like, dang, look how small I was or how young I looked or how goofy I was, you know, mm-hmm. it's a little embarrassing, but at the same time, it's just, it's kind of cool to remember. Yeah. I think, I think it's pretty cool. I watched one of your YouTube series a while ago. I think it was your first one. You traveled to do it. Yep. The rest is. Yep. yep okay. Yep, yep. And there was like a yard sale with the trusses or something. Oh, it was, yeah, it was, uh, it was crazy. Yeah. Those trusses were still to this day, one of the most challenging truss sets for mm. a post frame. Why is that? Just because of the, because lo- of the well, logistics? Logistics were bad. It was yeah. a 20 foot wall with a eight twelve pitch truss with a five twelve under uh, pitch on like a scissor. Mm. And so they were two pieces because they couldn't get them down the road. They were so tall. So, the inside of this building, the peak of the inside is, I think, still to this day, taller than the peak of any exterior building that we've done. Oh, yeah. Nice. Just because it was so it was so tall. And right. um, we didn't have good equipment. We didn't have our big scissor lift. Um, it was a lot of work for Greg and I, the guy that works for me. And, uh, you know, being away from home, not having everything that you just really want. It was challenging. So, yeah, man, that's where we cut our teeth. Those jobs we take on, you're like, oh, yeah, I need, I need more stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but that job, that job is what catapulted my YouTube. So I'm, I'm, uh-huh. I'm forever in debt to Jimmy DeResta. He was kind of a mentor. He, you know, I did that job, and within the first month, had twenty five thousand subscribers on YouTube. Which, you yeah. know, really, if you can't, if you can't kind of get that initial jump, it really can take some time to, to grow a channel. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just kind of, I just got on the YouTube platform to try and branch out a little bit. I, I don't know if I'll be putting all the interviews on there, but we'll see what happens with that. I, yeah. Cause I do think it's a great, yeah, a, a great place to get into. Yeah. I, I don't think you can go wrong. I mean, like I said, it's, it's searchable. It's forever. And you just never really know who's going to watch it and what opportunity might come from it. 
And as long as you, you know, you aren't ashamed of anything, <clears throat> you know, why not? Absolutely. Okay. So back to the biz. Okay. Hang on a second. I'm going to kill a light here. Um, back to the business. Okay. So, so it's still just you and Greg. Yep. Um, Greg's holding on co-star. He's in the spotlight a lot. Yeah. He's been with me for 11 years. That's awesome. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we're buds. I, I try to, you know, I try, I mean, to be honest, I mean, there ain't many, many right-hand guys that have it as easy as Greg. Uh, and, and I tell him that I remind him that all the time when he complains to me about the job at hand, because with the advent of social media and what we do, we don't work nearly as hard as we used to. I'm telling you, we used to work hard. Uh, we still work hard, but it was, it was like younger Kyle was a lot more aggressive on being hungry and getting jobs done and trying to impress my clients and all that stuff. You know, all the things that a young business owner wants to do. Now it's like, you know, the work is always going to be there. We're going to take our time. We're going to do it. We're going to learn. We're going to share it. And, uh, and a lot of times, you know, there's a lot of downtime in the day where you're not, you're not leaving at the end of the day as tired as maybe once were, but that's good because we're both getting older, you know? Mm -hmm. Cool. Uh, so, so no plans to expand the business, just kind of keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, expansion is, I guess, you know, means different things to different people. Um, sure. I have no plans of hiring uh, workers and laborers at this time. Do I think down the road, there's an opportunity to, you know, I've asked Greg many times, like, dude, you want to run a crew? I can get you set up, man. You can make more money. You can have more responsibility and you can go off and we can expand this thing. He's not interested, you know, because I think it's, it's pretty, I mean, it's, it's not a bad gig to be in where he's at. And I, I try to treat him very well. Um, probably, you know, I can always do more, I think, because he's a great guy. Uh, and, expansion in reach, I think is probably the only thing I'm, I'm looking at, you know, how do we get more people education on post frame? It's benefits. How do we learn more? How do we become better builders? Like that's the growth that I'm after. It's not size of company, I guess. Mm -hmm. And when we're, when I chatted with you at JLC live briefly, You'd mentioned that, you know, people are contacting you from all over the world, just all over the place to, to build stuff for them. Now right. that they see you, uh, do you ever travel now? I know you did no. for that first one, but. Yeah, we did for the first one. And when I got home from that job, um, my kids were much younger. I mean, you go back to 2017, I got a 13 year old daughter and well, she'll be 13 and, uh, and my son will be 16 in a couple months. Um, I was gone for 16 days straight. And they had a little contract that I had to sign that stated I would never be gone for, I wouldn't travel over the weekends and I wouldn't take on any work more than a five day stint. Um, and it just kind of hit me, you know, I was like, you know, the, the work will always be there. I don't need to travel for work. Like, um, mm. you know, we turned down, I, I like think, it. uh, a Bruce, Bruce Springsteen, he was going to build a boathouse in long Island. Um, We've had a couple NBA and uh, NFL players reach out about some some potential projects. 
some movie stars up in the Pacific Northwest reached out. Like there's been opportunities and it's pretty cool to say that, you know, they called, um, yeah. a couple of other YouTube stars have reached out that man would have been just great for channel growth myself. But you know, at the end of the day, I want to be home. I want to lay my head on my pillow. I want to be around for my kids because honestly it's going so fast and mm-hmm. I wish I had more time as it is. That's awesome, man. That's that's great to hear. Um, maybe when they fly the coop. Yeah. No. I mean, honestly, I've. I mean, if I'm still if I'm still able to build at a level, I mean, I hope I can. In, in another six, seven years, I'll be forty seven. I'm I'm hoping I'm still able to build. Maybe not, you know, as much, but still able. Um, or at the high level of production, I would say. I, I would love to take on some cool projects, maybe me and my wife travel for a month or something, you know, but um, I don't know, you know, I don't ever rule anything out, but I also don't really plan that far in advance. I try to stay focused on what's in front of me and what's keeping me happy at the moment. And, and is it um, you're building post-frame barns, but in the barn and, and the, but it seems like the barn does are really taken off. Are you going to, is that going to be the focus? Uh, the, I hope is, not. Is, is bar- <clears throat> I mean, okay. I hope not. Barn dominiums are great, and they are um, uh, a good. What's the word I'm looking for? They're a good challenge to like, kind of take all your skills and to try to do something high end. But I don't want to do nonstop barndos because I'm sure it has a little bit to do with my ADD or um, ADHD. I don't like to be somewhere every day for a long time. So what I love about post frame in building shops, man caves, a lot of these projects I can get in, we can do something, we can get out, you know, if it's a month that was like back in the day when it was like we were moving, if we were somewhere for, for a month, it better be a monster building or mm, the weather has been crappy. Like, you know, we, we just are in and out, you know, we'll build a 40 by 64 shop for a guy, insulate it, finish the inside two weeks, boom, we're out of there. The barn does, it's, it's commitment, you know, nine months or so, and you're there. And I like the challenge. I like to do them, but I don't want my business to be barn dominiums. Yeah. Um, and it's not as profitable to be honest. I mean, I was just, I was just, I was just going to ask that. Yeah. From a business standpoint, I mean, that's on me, I think, because as the business owner, I need to I need to make sure that my margins and that my profits are the same, regardless of what I'm doing. It it doesn't, shouldn't matter the project. It should matter the effort I'm putting into it, but um, it's just, we've got the systems and the equipment that I've purchased to really do a, a workshop or a man cave, you know, very efficiently and do it right. And so that's where we really cut our teeth and made those systems you know, as, as optimized as, as I can, and I'm trying to always get better, but you know, Barndos, you're relying on subcontractors, you're relying on a lots of parts and pieces to be ordered and, and delivered on time, things that you just can't always control perfectly. And therefore you, you have a loss of uh, potential profit there. Yeah. You know, that's a, that's a great point. And as I was kind of expanding and, and had a crew and things were blowing up, I'd been doing a lot of kitchens and bathrooms and they were profitable, but difficult to do with the crew because it was too small. And, mm-hmm. and I, you know, was doing houses and additions and 
and re like big gut remodels. They were very profitable. But then I started looking at the numbers on my additions and it was like, this is basically just taking up my guy. This is getting my guys paid, but it's not. And when I really started pricing it, really giving people the numbers that I want. So I was profitable. They got everything they wanted and everybody was paid. It was priced out. It just didn't work in the, my economy. So I, don't, I, I just said no more, no more additions. Someone yeah. else's problem. Yeah. And uh, so I, I totally get that. You got to, yeah. you got to figure it out for your own economy. And I, yep. Yeah. And, and it, you know, for a while I did, I just did tons of kitchens and, and I kind of just hit the wall with it. I was like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's one of the things I hear from guys, you know, when they're talking and like, how do we be successful and make money? And I think that in the trades, I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like a lot of us want to appease people. We want to make them happy. We want mm. to do good work. You know, obviously there's contractors that just don't give a crap. I mean, I run into them and it bugs me, but there's a lot of us that just really do love what we do and want to do good work. So we say, yes, we do things that we don't want to. You do those additions and mm. saying no was like one of the most freeing things for me um, because it allowed me to only do the things that I was happy doing because I, I noticed whenever I would say yes and I would... I'd tell the guys, hey, this is, this is what we're going to do. And they knew we didn't want to do it. We weren't going to enjoy it. Um, it just made it like those couple weeks of whatever that job was, was just kind of like, why, why are we doing this? Just to make money. Like you can make money doing what you like or say, say yes to this person that you don't want to work for or do. Um, you just got to say no. Yeah, absolutely. The power of no is, is amazing. And mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah. You, 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 when you do say yes and the, and the, and your people know that it's not something you want to be doing. It's lackluster. Yeah. It doesn't feel awesome. And, and it's a bummer to go to work when you yeah. like working with your hands and it's not like everybody's jazzed about it. Yep. I agree. Um, yeah. I think that skilled trades definitely and carpenters in particular, maybe have a, some sort of empathy thing. It's like we we're working with their hands. We work with natural products and we just, we want to, we want to be doing it yep. and saying no is a, is a big challenge. So, um, are there any, are there any like specialty tweaks, you know, that you have for your projects that maybe other post frame builders don't that, you know, are you kind of your signature move? Uh, I mean, there are like our porch that we do specifically, we do a cedar post and beam porch and it's just kind of a design that we came up with and have done. And it's kind of a signature, you know, our, our porch, like when you see them, it's kind of like, okay, you know, that's ours. And definitely in my area and even on social media, I see a lot of the similar, you know, I mean, obviously it it's, it's hard to put all that content out there and then not see reproduction content. You see people doing almost cookie cutter examples of what you've done. And I, it's, it's, it's awesome. I mean, at the same time, as maybe being a little like, come on, man, you just copied literally exactly what I did on this job. That's cool. That's why I'm doing it at the same time. You know, um, if I wasn't on social media and I was just in my little bubble of, you know, Franklin Grove and my neighbor contractor that I was competing every day with to get the work was doing exact replicas of what I was doing, trying to, you know, copy what I, that might be kind of annoying. Right. But it would also force me to, find the next thing. And that's what like, 
when I started, a lot of people were you know, asking me, like, why would you share all of your tips and tricks and like your, your best practices and, and methods on how you guys do things? And honestly, it was, I, I thought about it and, and doing that, I would see what I was doing and it would force me to want to do better because I was like, mm, you know what, actually, I don't really like the way that looks or I don't like, you know, I could do that better. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think as contractors, we all sit there and do the same thing all the time because that's comfort. You know, I mean, it's very hard to force yourself to do something totally different, but I think social media has done that to a lot of us because we see people doing things better than us. And we all like to be the, I mean, I think we all want to be the best. We want to do our best work. Um, mm -hmm. But as far as like our signature thing, we started post framing by not putting posts in the ground. Like we are the first ones in our area for sure. And there's still tons of guys that message me and they're like, dude, I, I, I love how you guys don't do wood in the ground and you don't use solid columns and, I can't get my clients to understand it and I can't get them to pay to do it. And so when I started that, I took a hit. I just, I didn't even give them an option of putting wood in the ground and I didn't charge mm. them to do the system because, you know, actually it's, it's in our opinion, it's easier, faster and stronger and better like all around. So, you know, that's kind of how people originally started really having, I guess, trust in us excuse me, was because we were doing all this out of the ground post frame work that nobody else was doing. And it was kind of like, it just made sense. Why would you, why would you bury wood if you don't have to? Absolutely. No. And I like that. I like hearing that, that people are copying because if you're doing good work and people are copying you and more people are looking at the good work you're doing, especially with your other best practices combined, it, it, it improves your community. Period. Oh, hundred percent. Yes. And that's, you know, because the practices of the 80s and 90s and early 2000s, a lot of that just needs to go. And we need to be building better houses, better homes. And and yeah, if, if you're putting yourself out there, people are copying. It's much better for our communities. So Yeah, yeah I agree. I, the post frame pole barn, as some would call it, community is very far behind. I mm -hmm. go to the trade show that's specific for the frame builders and... You know, you're just you're seeing the same products that were there uh, 10 years ago when I went to my first show. And it's like, OK, we're still selling, you know, products to, to help put the wood post in the ground. And I understand that there's a place for it and I won't talk bad about doing it, but we should we should try to promote not doing it because we all know that it will rot. It will be gone. It will not last. And with the products that we have today. It, it's not like a post from 50 years ago, you know, treated in creosote and um, super unhealthy for the environment, but it would last a really long time. These posts, you, you worked with treated wood. I mean, mm -hmm. it's just not the same as it used to be. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> so what, what are your, uh, how did you get all these skills? How'd you learn uh, the post frame? Uh, so when I got started in post frame, I had a buddy that worked for a post frame company and he worked with me for a little while helping, um, develop, I guess what I would say, he taught me what he did in post frame. And I came from like residential construction where I did a lot of, you know, cabinetry and trim. And 
I was, I'm always been a little bit more, you know, OCD detail oriented. So, you know, like the thing that we always joked was like, you know, when you come from the post frame industry, their methods are like, you know, you, it's the same old thing you hear good enough. As long as it's an even lean, uh, you know, these, these phrases that you hear, um, that's kind of what the industry is. And I think what really set us apart early on was that it was a great mixture of the knowledge of post frame uh, from a, a high school friend to uh, the more detail and quality side of like the trim and the interior work that I came from and molding those together that, like I said before, in the earlier part of the show, like I'm a problem solver. That's what I really get off on. That's exciting for me. Um, I didn't really talk about it, but prior to starting my business, I left IT for about a year and a half and I ran a production uh, a production department. I guess I was a manager for about 150 people that had maybe like 20 or 25 lines of production where we packaged goods. And my, my whole job was basically how do we increase efficiency? How do we get more product out the door and get people in the best places possible? And so when I moved into construction, like that is – what I always thought about. And, you know, when you see a problem and you're building post frame, uh, you got a piece of flashing. How do you make it better? How do you do it better? How do you make it quicker and more efficient? That's just the stuff that excites me, you know? So I didn't, I didn't go to a school and for the last, Oh geez, you know, six, seven years now, it, it's just been really Greg and I, I mean, his brother worked for us for a little bit, but every time you got a problem, you solve it. You know, mm -hmm. uh, the internet has helped in the last couple of years, especially the building science side of things. I've really gained interest in and by doing barn dominiums, you know, I have, I will be the first to admit, like, I don't know nothing about, well, I've learned a little bit, but I didn't know anything about building science and, you know, there's so many terms I could probably throw out, but I don't even really know the terms, you know, because I'm still learning so much, but that's what's exciting for me. So that's, that's how I, I try to get better is through whatever's, you know, got me interested. How is building science, how has incorporated building science into your builds uh, affected your flow, your workflow? Oh, slowed it down tremendously. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. yeah, it's, it's next level slow for what I'm used to. And that's like, I, I actually just was at this barn dominium. We wrapped up on Friday and I was talking to the client and we were just kind of, you know, chit-chatting about the build and how I built him a shop in 20, probably 13 or 14. So quite a while ago. And he loves it. And he's like, it's like the best thing ever. And I have a little, you know, <clears throat> mini split in this big shop and it just does perfect. It doesn't cost me anything to heat and cool. He loves it. And I'm like, I'm like, his name's Greg. And I'm like, Greg, you know the way we built that compared to like what we would do today is just night and day. But I think the whole mentality of like good enough is that the, our best job that, you know, six, seven, eight years ago, whatever that was is, is still to this day, good enough. It's still good enough for what most people are using a shop for. And I told him, I said, I don't know that I can go from building your house with these methods with, the rock wool and the Sega and the weather logic and blow blower dooring, you know, at, at 0.43. I, 
and go build a metal skinned building with fiberglass insulation and some poly, I'll feel dirty. Like I'll feel like I'm doing a disservice to my client, even though I know it's good enough. And that is the value at which they are wanting. They, not everybody wants, you know, the, the ultimate uh, level of building. I agree with that. And uh, sometimes, yeah, I, I, I think we need to talk more about building science and how much, how much is applied. Yeah. Um, well, I, I think, any? yeah, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. No, I, go. I, I was just going to say that I, this is like one of the things that like will, um, I kind of have turmoil over is social media, you know, shows all these things and all these projects that people are doing in their, you know, everybody wants to share their best project, their, you know, uh, the million dollar home they're building or whatever. And sometimes I struggle with the fact that 99% of Americans will never afford that or that level of, you know, material package or whatever. And so like that is the whole best house, the thing that I this post frame Barndo that I just wrapped up, we called it the best house on YouTube. It's not because it was the best house. The goal with it was how do we build the best house using, you know, materials that are affordable, but more importantly, like the process, the methods to give somebody a, a super efficient, comfortable, well-built long lasting home without spending a ton of money. Like how do we build something for middle America that is also going to be around long after we're gone and still be efficient. And, uh, you know, that's, I think the part that a lot of the social media thing, you know, misses is it's okay to build good enough, but still, you know, high end, if that makes sense. Yeah, we, we definitely need to discuss that more. Um, talk about how, how we, how we do approach that. Well, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I, my, I think that <clears throat> that adding the basic building science to my homes adds about 5% to the project to, to increase its efficiency that much. Although probably some of the building science gurus wouldn't say it was good enough. Yeah. And, and I just want to build to a standard uh, that suits me and zone eight and yeah i have no idea what zone eight would be like mike that that yeah. probably is would be mind-blowing for me and uh i mean I, i'm zone five i think i'm kind of borderline but um zone eight i can imagine you guys do some crazy stuff lots of insulation lots of insulation yeah <laughs> um so are there some unique local challenges to building where you live, maybe changes you're seeing that you have to deal with. Like, uh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, no. I mean, uh, I think in rural Illinois, we have like zero inspections, zero um, real requirements. I mean, we're supposed to build to 2000. I don't know. I don't even remember what code we're on. I think we just changed it. Um, there's nobody enforcing it. I, my, I mean, 
people always ask all the time, like, what's that whole process look like? Getting your permits, having your inspections. What problems do you face? How do you how do you guys move so fast on projects? Because I'm always waiting on inspections. Like, well, we don't. Do I think that that's great for our industry? No. Is it great for me as a business owner? A hundred percent. I mean, I'm doing my best work. So I know that our clients aren't, you know, getting a crappy job, you know, we're, we're still getting plumbing inspections. We're still getting, um, sometimes depending where we're at, you know, a couple framing inspections. It depends on the municipality if we're in it one or out in the country, but in general, we don't have any, nobody's checking, you know, a blower door score. We don't have any energy audits or anything that are coming down the pipeline. I mean, I think that they're working on it. Um, but no, I mean, we just don't really have any restrictions. Yeah, we don't have restrictions either. Do you ever pay for third-party inspections or anything? No, no. I mean, if I told my client, hey, uh, do you want to you want to flip the bill or I'm going to put a third-party inspection cost in your – I mean, I could do it for myself. But to be honest, I don't want this to sound like egotistical, but I don't know who's inspecting in my area that knows more about post-frame than what we do. You know what I'm saying? Like – yeah, I don't know who I'm. I don't even know who I would call that would take a look at our building, other than maybe just a second set of eyes that says, "Hey, that looks weird." Like, what is the point of that? Because they don't even know, and that might, you know, introduce a question into uh, to talk about and maybe solve a problem that it maybe could occur. I don't know, but we're not building insane, detailed, and difficult structures that's kind of the beauty of post frame is that you know the engineering behind what we're doing is pretty straightforward um trusses and you know, all these components that go into it it's it's very straightforward so it just i i don't see the benefit in going through all that extra you know stuff interesting uh i pay for inspections on my houses but that's to make it if I'm building a spec house, so the person that's buying it knows that makes sense. signed off on, but they're more, it's more complicated. I mean, I don't even, what, what sort of, what sort of guts are you putting in it besides a roof and windows? Are you, I mean, you got power, so you got an electrician coming through. Are you, are the, are the, you have water, probably not much. Plumbing. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. So basically the only inspections that we get are, plumbing inspections okay. so we rough in and you know final uh, or any underground needs to be inspected before it's covered up but yeah. we don't do any of that work anyway so um i remember we were building one of our first barn dominiums and it was in a different county than i'm normally building in um because i kind of live in like a tri-county area but we don't do we didn't you know we did a, most of our work in one county well we did another job so i called the county or maybe the homeowner, I can't remember, during their permit process, they said, hey, um, make sure you call the inspector for um, a, a quick inspection when you guys start the job, you know, where the holes are, whatever. So we call the inspector. The inspector shows up. We're building a house. And we got all the holes dug. And I thought he wanted to see the footings, make sure we were deep enough and big and all that good stuff. Shows up. He pulls a tape measure off the or he's like where's the uh where's your property line i was like well it's it's right over here you know you can see that post there and there and he's like 
Okay. Well, I, that, that definitely is more than, you know, 20 feet. So yeah, you guys are good. You know, have a good day. Call me, uh, call me when it's all done and the homeowners, you know, wants to move in and we'll give them, uh, you know, certificate of occupancy. And I'm just like, you don't, you don't want to check the footing depth. You don't want to make sure I'm below the frost line. He's like, no, no, you're good. I was like, okay, that was, that was it. That was, wow. that's all. We never got inspected again, you know? Wow. Yeah. Yep. Well, we don't, we don't, we don't have inspections outside the city here either. There's nothing you, it's yeah. all, it's all wild, wild west. Yeah. It's wild west. So, so there's some crazy stuff that goes down. Yeah. Great for builders, not great for homeowners. I mean, I've seen some crappy work. I get people right. sending me pictures all the time of buildings that are leaning or falling down. And, you know, I, I don't know the answer. Yeah, it's great for builders in the sense that we don't get slowed down. If you do good work and you don't have to deal with an inspector, it's awesome. Heck yeah. Uh, so energy resilience, you guys don't have issues. You, like, like here where um, we're getting increased windstorms, for instance, used to not have all these super intense windstorms. And we're having to put, I put uh, transfer switches on every house now. And we've done a ton, a ton of transfer switch upgrades so people can run their house off a generator because we'll lose power for sometimes days. Yeah, I think I think we do see that more. But I often wonder and I'm not a conspiracy theorist here, but I often wonder with the advent of social media and the amount of information we see all the time. I feel like when I was younger our winters were colder. We had more snow. We had bigger storms. Everybody talks about the storms being bad now. I feel like it's the opposite, hmm. but I feel like also, you know, when I get a news report and I check the weather and it's like, I've never seen more warnings, like thunderstorm warnings, snowstorm warnings, like all these warnings that amount to nothing. And I, I, I don't know, man. I mean, long story short, no doubt it seems that science has told us that the weather is getting different. That's I don't know that you can debate that. But personally, in my area, I don't feel like it's any worse than it ever was. I just feel mm. like we overreact to everything in the entire world in general. So weather being one of them, you know, and so people are putting more um, generators in wind our, you know, we don't have different ratings. You know, our trusses are all engineered for certain snow loads, and that nothing's changed there. Wind loadings haven't changed. Um, but I don't know. They say that it's it's definitely you know the storms are bigger and worse. I, I just I often wonder sometimes is that because things cost more, so the storms storm damage amounts to more, or is it actually more storm damage? I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, we definitely lose power a lot more here than we used to, but. Uh, I will agree that when I look at my weather app, there's, there's, there's like a weather warning every day. Um, it's, it's some, it's, there's it's some warning. Weird. Yes. Yeah, every day there's weird. today, actually yesterday it was air quality warning. We had an air quality warning and I'm like, I don't even know what that means. Like why I, we don't have forest fires. We don't have big fires. What is the air quality warning? Um, and, and who, who determines what that is. But, um, yeah, like I said, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I don't want to. I mean, I like conspiracy theories. Actually, we, I could talk about that stuff because it, it interests me. But um, I just feel like 
that probably, you know, everybody likes a good story. So um, the more, you know, the more you can talk about, the better the story. So, yeah, definitely. They want more people to look at their app and click on things, Mm -hmm. click on advertisements. That's right. It's no different than our social media channel. You know, you want people to click on your podcast. So if we can like, you know, put something good out there and have a good talking bit, right. It's going to push people. Weather's no different. News is no, it's just the way life is. Except they can learn something here. So they should all share this in their stories or wherever they are in social media. Right. Yep. Um, so you got any good client stories or, or how about a good conspiracy theory? <laughs> uh, excuse me. I, um, I worked for this guy one time and, uh, you know, people always ask me, you know, as a contractor, I think it's one of those things that people, they talk about, you know, getting screwed over and not getting paid a client that never pays you. And I had really good clients. And I think that when you put yourself in a box of, you know, doing a certain level of work, doing a certain type of job, you get, you attract a certain type of client also. 100%. And, 100%. So I had a guy call me for a building and this was kind of in the heat or in the, in like this time period of my business when we were really growing as builders, post frame, uh, being known as post frame builders. Uh, farmers had tons of money. We had like seven, seven and a quarter corn back in, you know, I don't know, probably 2013 for, I don't know, whatever the date was. So this guy calls me and he, he was a farmer and I recognized the name and I, I'd asked my dad, I was like, Hey dad, you know, do you remember this? Do you remember this name? And he's like, Oh yeah. He's like, don't, I, I would, I'd walk away, man. I, I probably wouldn't, you know, they weren't, they weren't bad people, but we just, we always had problems and I, I don't know, maybe the, maybe it's not, maybe things have changed, you know, this is a long time ago mm. and we, we, we live by these people anyway. Uh, I am, you know, maybe in my ego and I'm like, nah, this will be fine. I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and do it. And so we started the project and it was, it was all rainbows and unicorns, man. And up until the day we were cleaning up, we were finishing up the last details and the husband and wife, they come out and they're inspecting everything. And, uh, I remember the wife, she says, this is, this building is so nice. This is nicer than our house. We would, I would much rather live here than in our house. This is so nice. I'm like, well, that's perfect. You know, I mean, that's awesome. Great. Um, we're done and I'll, you know, I'll send you the final bill and whatever sent the final bill. Um, and I didn't, I didn't get paid. Uh, they call me, they ended up threatening, actually threatened to, um, shoot the insulator when they showed up to, to insulate, uh, because he was trespassing, didn't know about it. I'm like, (laughs) Oh, nice. Okay. And, um, they claimed that the door guy that put the doors in did a horrible job. Didn't like the doors, didn't want them, wasn't going to pay for them. And then the concrete guy did a horrible job insulating the sub concrete, which I couldn't confirm or deny because it's all underneath the concrete. You know, it is a case of not wanting to get paid. But this this uh, this customer went from just being everything was perfect to I'm not paying you, Kyle, which means uh, your your subcontractors like how do I pay them? What do I do with them? 
And so, you know, I paid, I ended up losing probably like 13 to $15,000 on this job. Um, and the lesson I learned from this, I mean, that was the only time I ever in the, I don't know, 14, 15 years of running, whatever that is, I've been running a business that I didn't get paid fully for my work. And since this day, I I've stopped like having subcontractors. So, Mm. you know, I don't subcontract. So when a customer comes to me and we're building a barn dominium, I'm like, listen, I'll do it. This is what I will do, but you're going to have to line up your other people from a standpoint that I'm not paying them. And I'm not responsible to make sure that their work is done to a standard. Now, unfortunately for me, I'm still like the type of guy who will have the conversations, will manage, will help, will make sure things are done. I mean, just the other day I had to, I had to really have a tough conversation with the plumber because I wasn't happy with what they did for my client. And I'm like, that's not even my problem. Like I, I literally have no skin in the game. None of this matters to me or me getting paid. But it was like, this is just the thing that I have to do. You know, like I need to do this for my client because the client doesn't know any better. And I don't like what this plumber just did for them. Um, but to be honest, I I don't have any crazy stories. Like that is about the extent of it. I mean, I just have really good clients. We've had a lot of really good jobs. And... Um, you know, what's, what's your craziest story, Mike? Like, give me an example and maybe it'll spur something for me. Oh, I just, you know, started off a project, an addition, and uh, it was rainbows and unicorns, love fest, everybody was happy. And then my subcontractor started going through and they started telling me about this client, you know, on them telling them they're doing their work wrong and they're like i don't know what to do and she's standing there with her dog and like then starts yelling at me and i'd go up and and she would be sweet to me Mm. and like this and she'd be like no that didn't happen and it kept going on and then for a year after we were getting non-stop callbacks for stuff that wasn't wrong Mm. and it was it was it was a it was a matter of us all having to go up there on several occasions and say, there's nothing wrong. And, and then when the year warranty ended, you know, your standard industry warranty, that was it. But there was really nothing ever wrong. Mm. So uh, it was very, it was a very, very stressful job. And, uh, and I never saw what she was doing to my subcontractors but they all remember it's a, it's the, it's the memorable one. And they powered through for me, you know, they, they dealt with it because there was no other way for us to deal with it besides to just go up there and deal with it. You know, um, I've never gotten jacked by a client on money. I, which is amazing. Um, I have had clients mess with me, big money guys Mm -hmm. try to, try to knock my price down after we're under contract and stuff like that. But, um, you know, there's like three or four memorable clients in, in 18 years that, that, that I remember a lot about them. And there's clients that I don't even remember the job anymore. Mm -hmm. And there's a, there's a lot of clients 
most of them have been amazing. 98%, 99% amazing yeah. people, great, great jobs, great outcomes, and uh, really helped build my confidence because I, like when at the beginning, I wasn't confident because I, I was beating myself up because I had, you know, failed with my degree or whatever, wasn't doing what I was supposed to do. So um, I think having good clients really mattered. And, yeah. Uh, you know, I, uh, when you told me your story, it made me remember that I did have this one client and this is kind of funny. Um, we were asked to do a complete gut job, full remodel of a house. And this was Greg's first job, like real job that I mm. put him on. And, uh, so it's funny because we will drive by this house. It's in our area, obviously. And we'll be like, every time, remember that job, this, this person. Okay. Um, First off, everything was amazing, right? The the last I go to pick up a check after we're all done, and this lady is crying. She's crying when I get there, which is mm. I'm sad. I'm like, what's going on? You know what? And she's like, everything is wrong. Everything is bad. And I'm like, what what is wrong? Because when we were just here, everything was great. What is wrong? The flooring guy was done laying carpet, and he was going to go get his vacuum. And she said, this was his word, so it could be wrong, but she said, you can use my vacuum. It's no big deal. He didn't empty it. And so when she went to go vacuum, this vacuum was full of the fuzzies from the carpet. And he, he's like, ma'am, I, you know, I, I'm sorry. Like I will just empty it. Like it's, it's full of the fuzzies, but this was the biggest deal in the world. Okay. And I thought that's kind of weird, but it's over. Like, it's no big deal. It wasn't over. I get a letter from a lawyer. She sued me. I totally forgot about this. She was suing me as the general because the air conditioner wasn't cold enough. When she laid in bed at night, she was sweating. Now, mind you, this, this individual was of age for potential hot flashes. Could be a thing, right? But the HVAC guy was like, ma'am, you know, I called him. I'm like, hey, this is what's going on. He's like, not your problem, Kyle. Like, we'll handle it. He goes over and he's like, you know, what's the problem? She said, when I lay in bed at night, I feel warm air. Uh, the insulate, everything was insulated, you know, whatever. And he's like, turn your air conditioner down and you won't be as hot. And she said, well, in my old house, I set the thermostat at 70, whatever. He's like, but every house is different. You know, it just, it's not always going to be the exact same temperature because where your vents are, whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. Didn't like that answer. Whatever. Then I find out she sued the excavator who did all the final grading because weeds grew in the dirt that he brought to do the final grading. I I, I could go on. There was multiple yeah. things. And I totally forget about this. But every time we drive by this house, um, I got paid. I, I, I got paid for everything we did. But it was almost like there was just a little bit of un instability maybe, you know, mm -hmm. and um, it was an interesting thing, man. And I, you know, it's, it, I feel like those are the jobs that you need to, in, you know, experience so that you can learn how to better read people. And I feel like over the years I've been able to, in those initial conversations, pick up some context clues that say, okay, Kyle, you already know what's going to happen if you do this. Let's just avoid it. And, and you know, you don't have to do every job that comes your way 
you need to do a better job at interviewing and understanding who the client is, not just what the task is, because I feel like I can do any job. I don't want to have to deal with every person. I just, okay. That's, that's great stuff. Do you remember what do you like when you look back now, do you remember like the seeing the red flags and ignoring them? Mm -hmm. 100%. 100%. <laughs> every, I love it. I every love it. job that has been one, one that you sit back and say, what the heck was I doing? Why did I do that? You saw the red flags the whole time, but you, you consciously said, it's going to be okay. I need to do this job. And at the end of the day, you never needed to do the job because not once since I started my career, even the first year, did I sit at home and think, oh my God, I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. There's no work. Like there's always work. There's always people calling right. for things. You don't have to do them all. And so by, by picking up on, you know, reading people, I think that's what will really separate a good contractor from somebody who struggles in the business is that they can't read the job and the requirements and the person behind that job. And so they get into that interaction and then it, it creates a bad, you know, a negative for their business. And then it, it just, you know, can spiral sometimes. Man, I just published an article in Pro Remodeling Magazine about qualifying clients on the phone. And we didn't get, it doesn't get into red flags. It's just some questions to kind of get people talking. So you start picking up on this stuff. But, but today when people call and there's a red flag on the phone, I am just, I have mastered politely backing out of the conversation and passing it on because yeah. the, the, the second I feel it's not right, just no way. Mike, the beauty yeah, is, where... yeah, people, you know, with social media, I mean, people already know that I'm busy. So like the ultimate get out of jail for me is like, well, what's your time frame? I just let, I make them give me a time frame, and I'm like, there's no way I can do that. Like I, I would love to, but I can't stress myself out knowing that I might not make it to your job in that time frame, and I'm just going to have to pass. And uh, you have to. That's my number one mm -hmm. time frame because then you can say, oh, okay, I'm booked out pretty far, so let's, you know, yes. You Here's a couple people you can success. call. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so your flooring, your carpet reminded me of something. It's not client related, but I've never been able to tell this. I, I, the story just popped in my head. My concrete guys were putting in some stain, some uh, some dyed concrete with a uh, um, exposed aggregate, little sidewalk, little fancy detail on my one of my spec houses. This is like five or six years ago, and they're finishing up. The house, the carpet guy was just done. I'm like, I'm going to do final vacuum. There's going to be shower glass and it's on the market, right? So this is the, this is the final half percent. And the they're, wrapping half up, percent. Well, they're wrapping up and my, one of the hands goes out to his truck and his dog jumps out and hauls ass straight through that concrete into my house. Oh, because no. they had the doors open and goes running down the hall into my master bedroom and blows Brody's all over the carpet with concrete, dyed concrete on this, you know, this light that it's not a dark carpet. So there's dyed concrete. No and I, way. I, I come up, I come up like right after it happened. And I'm like, like the dog's running out of the house when I pull up. 
Oh my god. Oh yeah. Oh my god. And the the I, I was just like uh dude. And he spent he actually spent the night scrubbing that carpet. Got it all out. He got it all out. It was it was fine. And that's just it. You work with good people. It's all about the resolution. It's all about how the problem gets solved. It's not. Yeah. It's the response. Because he'll never let his dog out. He'll never bring his dog to a concrete site again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Rough. Yeah, it was rough. No, no pun intended. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what's one, what's one piece of advice you'd have for a tradesperson starting up their own business? Oh, it's easy, man. Honestly, if you're getting into business for yourself, it's the same thing I've told people I feel like for the last 10 years, because I learned it really early on. If you want to be a successful business owner in the trades, literally answer your phone and return messages to people on time. I have gotten more work when I was starting off, not because anybody knew my quality of work and not because I had the best price. I didn't even know. They literally on the phone said, I'm calling you back to give you a job because you were the only person who answered their phone or returned your returned the call or just got me a bid back. That was it. it yeah. There was no other reason they hired me. And, uh, you know, I mean, I think obviously I think it goes without saying that you you should always do your best. Like it, just treat it like it's yours always. But I feel like that's so cliche, you know. Um, I just always got work because I just went home when somebody called me for a job and I just I gave them a bid like the same day. I just gave them a bid. Um, that's money. That is money. Yeah. Getting the bid back immediately. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, sometimes like literally people are impatient. People are super impatient. That's worse today than it was 10 years ago. Um, a, a simple bid on time or answering your phone call can give people such good feelings about you that you don't even know. I like it. My, my next uh, question comes from Fiona Plett, who was on the show a while back. And she asks what, what's your, if I knew then what I know now in your, in your business or life, whatever you want to say. Oh man. Um, well, I think, I think if I would have known that I was going to do contracting and be a business owner, I would have done the college experience different. I would not have not gone, but I would have learned a lot more about accounting, about taxes. You know, uh, I feel like the rest of it was a fun journey, you know, learning the skills, um, figuring out the things that I was not good at and, and getting better at them. But the, the things to this day still that that haunt me that I'm not good at are those things. And so, you know, that's that's maybe uh maybe not a super fun. What would I do or what would I wish I knew now that I didn't? But that that really, I think, would have helped me as a business and, and had less stress in my life if I just would have been better at that stuff. What question would you ask another contractor on the show? Um. I guess I would ask, uh, it's a good question to ask me to ask a question, but you know, um, what's your out, you know, what, what is your long-term plan on? And these are the things I ask myself. So that's why I'm asking it is how do you, how do you someday say I'm done? 
And how do you tell that last, that, you know, because there's going to be the first phone call that will be the job you don't do and you're done doing jobs. And like, how, how, how will I do that? Because I think, you know, as a contractor, we're all, we do have an ego in a sense that, you know, we've built up this business, we've built up our name, we've built up a reputation. And um, I think that we, well, I think if you're successful, you're going to, you're going to continue to want to do good stuff for people. And so, you know, what, what will you do to, to get out of the career? Is it just going to be cold Turkey or I don't know. So it's a, maybe it's a long question, question but it, that's my question is what, what are you going to do? It's a great question. Because we plan and plan and plan and we're always scheming and, and, you know, refocusing and jumping from this to that. But eventually you're going to you're going to get to your you're going to meet all your goals and you're going to need to have another plan. Yeah, that's yeah, tough. I, I think about that all the time because I don't want to run a business till I'm too old to actually do the business. You know, mm -hmm. I want to enjoy it and I want to walk away at some point because, you know, I don't want my ego to get in the way to where I feel like I need to do it and continue to do it. But that's a, that's going to be a hard thing too. What do you value most Kyle? Oh, my family. That's an easy one, man. I mean, that's the older I get, the older my family gets, the more I, um, I think more about that than other things. Who's your mentor? Whew, man, I've been asked this question so many times on different podcasts, and I never have hmm. a good answer. Um, I mean, there's people that really influence me, you know, my dad, um, my father-in-law, um, my my wife. She like has changed my you know way I, way of thinking. Uh, but I don't really have somebody that I call when I have a problem. I'm more of a figure it out myself type of guy and uh, internalize those problems and not make it someone else's problem. You know? Yeah. Interesting. I, I, uh, I didn't know that people asked this on other podcasts. Yeah. The I, mentor thing is all, it's come up. A, it's came up a lot in, you know, it's one of those like questions and it's always like, you know, my dad was always the guy that he got me into the trades per se. He was just, he was a computer science guy. So I followed his, mm. his footsteps because I, I think, you know, was, I hope my son looks at me and says, I'd like to be somewhat like my dad. I mean, I don't want him to follow my footsteps. I want him to pave his own way, but hopefully I do things that he can idolize. Uh, like I idolize the things that my dad did and he, he taught me how to DIY my own house. And that's where I fell in love with, you know, doing things. So mm. I would always say my dad, but I felt like it was, it was a cop out, even though I, I don't, I don't think it is, you know, I don't think it's a cop out. Yeah. Um, I, I, uh, I think that what you're what you said about not wanting to ask other people and figure it out yourself. I think when I was younger, and and this maybe you'll maybe you'll agree on too, that I did that too much, and I let my pride get in the way of asking questions, and I it it really uh, slowed my growth when I first started my business because there was that whole period where I was uncomfortable with it and. And I should have just asked all the questions. I did ask some, but not enough, I think. Yeah. Well, I think also, same with you starting your business and me starting. It's not like it is today. You know, today, I could very easily, uh, you know, I mean, think about all the people you've made contacts with over the show, over social media, the people that, 
you know, are doing something better than you, right? I mean, there, there's mm-hmm. attributes that people have. How easy it is to, to not be in a personal setting and ask for help versus, you know, mm-hmm. when I got started, there, there was nobody. I mean, there's just nobody to ask. I mean, was I going to yeah. go down the road and ask a fellow contractor who I was competing with that probably didn't like the fact that some young guy was now trying to take work from him? Um, yeah. The world has changed with social media and you can find answers and get help and people will gladly help you because they feel like they're at a point in their business where this is awesome. This young person or person in need needs my help. Um, What a fulfilling thing and also a great opportunity for young people. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, The availability of information is incredible. Incredible. And, and that's, I mean, that's why I started this whole podcast because, because of the struggles I went through. And I don't, I don't, I don't think it should be that way for everybody in a time when we need more builders, we need more builders to start their businesses and create more jobs and keep our communities functioning, functioning. It's awesome. Uh, Yeah. So uh, why do skilled trades matter? Well, you know, I've seen, I seen this, and maybe you've seen it too. It's been going around the internet, and we've all heard of chat GPT, right? I mean, AI and asking it a question and it doing everything for you, writing a paper, and it, and it was a construction site, and it, it, something along the lines of like, hey, chat GPT, can you finish this building for me or this project? And it was like the answer from chat was like, you know, I can't do that, basically, and the whole purpose behind that or the whole mentality is like, it's important because nobody's taking our job. We're not outsourcing contracting. We're not, a computer's not doing it. Yes. There will be some robotic, you know, repetitious things that maybe can be, you know, created, but um, the problems, the people, the interactions, like there's things that just a skilled person needs to be able to physically do um, in our lifetime. You know, I'm not saying never because, you know, I don't want to eat my words. You never know. But a skilled <laughs> skilled tradesperson is um, at a shortage and at a time where, you know, uh, I just think it's 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 uh, it's never not going to be important. What's your favorite tool? Um, hmm. Probably. I mean, probably my Martinez hammer. Um it's just, it's simple yet perfectly, you know, does the job. I, I don't know. I mean, it's just, I love it. What's your most useful tool? Um, <laughs> I mean, probably my Martinez hammer. Um, yeah. I mean, in what What's... I do, I actually use a hammer, you know, some guys just carry them around, but uh, I, <laughs> I, you know, I do use it all the time. Yeah. They don't get used. They don't get swung as much as they used to. No. Nope. Right. No. Nope. I remember, my, I remember my arms just burning in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, burning at night. Wake, keeping me awake at night. Oh, yeah. The old, the old numb hands that are just tingling and you yeah. can't get a good position. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what about the where have you been on my life tool? Um, man, that's a good one. Um, probably... Where have you been all my life? That's a good question, man. I feel like I had an answer as you were asking me and it just like escaped me. But um, so I just got this tool that 
it hooks up to your Sawzall or a drill. I got two of them, and it shakes cans. And I know that seems hmm. crazy. Have you seen these? I like, have, yeah. Just... Yeah, and uh, we, Greg and I, um, did a bunch of color match caulking. Sashko makes a product called Exact Color. They're the makers mm. of Big Big Stretch, and yeah, you have to shake it for sixty seconds, and then mix a thing, and then shake it for another sixty seconds. And my shoulder, like we had to do like six tubes, and it was just a ton of work that you wouldn't expect. That thing made it like just effortless, you know. And it seems so stupid and gimmicky, and um, but it was awesome, you know. Simple. That's a great where have you been allowed my life tool. Otherwise, it would have been Greg, right? You'd be like, all right, Greg, take over. Oh, he was crying like a baby, dude. He was like, dude, there's no way we can keep doing this, you know, because we had like another like 12 or 14 tubes. Uh, and he's like, there's no way, you know. I was like, so I went to Amazon, boom, bought both of them. And uh, yeah, so now I got it. So no big deal. Nice. Uh, what are the best job site jams? So we typically would listen to country. Um, you know, it's kind of non-intrusive. So anybody coming on site, you know, I mean, I had a guy that worked for me for a while that just loved putting hard, hard stuff on like screaming and metal. And while I can get down to any music, it doesn't matter. It's just background noise. Mm -hmm. It just was always a little like, mm, probably shouldn't be playing that. You know, the guy's talking about cutting somebody's head off or something, you know? Yeah. Country yeah, doesn't. There's, that, there's yeah. job site etiquette when the clients are rolling up. Yeah. For sure. Um, any any artists in general? Uh, for the longest time, it seemed like you know Greg's usually in charge of the music because I don't care. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and honestly, with social media, we don't do a whole lot of music anyway because I just can't have it in the background for anything. Gotcha. Otherwise, you get you know, oh because copyright copyrights. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. But uh, for the longest time, man, it was just like Florida Georgia Line was was I, I got so tired of listening to Greg sing Florida Georgia Line. So yeah. <laughs> Uh, is, uh, is there anyone you want to give a shout out to today? Um, mm, I don't know. Um, shoot, I don't know. Uh, not not in particular off the top of my head. Um, you got any guests in mind coming up? Do you need any oh, good what, ideas for any guests coming up? Oh yeah, I got a bunch of guests coming up. I meant shout outs for your people, like anyone you just wanted to say hey. Oh. Um, Hey, mom and dad, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay. All right, you guys, we're going to wrap it up here. You guys can find Kyle at our buildings on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, and myself also at the contracting handbook on YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram. Leave a review on Apple podcasts and rate us on Spotify and tell us if you took any, way, any nuggets away from the show today, because you can do that on Spotify now. Um, in the new comment section. Thanks so much for being here today, Kyle. Appreciate it. Oh, no, it was great, Mike. I really appreciate the conversation and uh, good for you, man. You're doing a great service to the industry too by providing all this information. So good for you. Thanks so much and likewise. Appreciate it. Mm -hmm.